guys and welcome to my podcast, Dermatologist Talks Science of Beauty. I'm Dr. Tio Wan Lin and this week we're going to talk about hyperpigmentation. Well, the commonly asked questions around this topic would often be, how can I lighten pigmentation on my face? What can I do about it? What treatments are effective? Do I really need lasers? Well, for today's episode, we're going to talk about hyperpigmentation in a slightly different way to offer you a new perspective. Well, first of all, not all hyperpigmentation must be treated either for cosmetic reasons or medical reasons. And certainly not all forms of hyperpigmentation can be treated. So we're going to start with this. It is essentially a very broad dermatological um, term that encompasses a lot of different diagnoses. It's important for us to explain this in detail because a lot of stigma is associated with having hyperpigmentation, so much so that sometimes as a dermatologist, when I'm asked that question, I almost feel like I should tell them that I also have hyperpigmentation um, and everybody has it in some form or other. Now, we're going to do this systematically. Firstly, because I want to change perceptions about beauty and in particular skin tone, skin color, uh, which is a really important topic in Asia. The important diagnosis that dermatologists will not want to miss when we're looking at a case of hyperpigmentation and also for the layperson to understand that there is a real reason why you need to see an accredited dermatologist for your pigmentation issues, because pigmentation is definitely not all cosmetic. And in fact, some types of hyperpigmentation can be cancerous. Well, first of all, hyperpigmentation itself is a broad morphological description of a group of fairly diverse dermatological conditions. These comprise the following. Natural hyperpigmentation, which is created by the skin itself, that is due to the activation of melanocytes, the cells that produce the pigment melanin, as well as exogenous pigment deposition, which can occur either due to drugs which are taken orally or as a result of certain implantation, tattoos, foreign body, for example. The most common cause of hyperpigmentation, uh, which is fairly benign and is important for the layperson to understand, uh, is actually post-inflammation hyperpigmentation or PIH for short. It's very important to emphasize this because it's really a form of scarring in the context of acne and eczema, uh, which are really common conditions and even mosquito bites. 
uh, all these can lead to and will lead to post-inflammation erythema, which is redness, shortly after the condition resolves and develops into post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation in ferrous skin individuals and can also cause post-inflammation hypopigmentation, which is loss of pigmentation in darker skin individuals. And all these are forms of the body reacting to the inflammation. There is also a category of pigmentation, which is influenced by your genetics. An example would be freckles, also known as aphylids. It's important to consider these in the correct context. Individuals who have red hair, light-colored eyes, and even myself, I am considered fair-skinned. I started having freckles from my early childhood years, and these are not in any way uh, considered pathological associated with aging or poor skin health. And if you are thinking of getting your freckles removed, it is important to note that methods such as laser, the 532 Q-switch laser, uh, is itself capable of inducing a form of scarring, uh, which is what we discussed before this post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation. So if you think that you are getting rid of your freckle, uh, there is a equally uh, significant chance that you will exchange it for a form of different form of pigmentation known as PIH. Uh, furthermore, it is rather impractical given that most individuals with freckles have several of these. Right now, I think it's also important to zoom in on uh, commoner causes of pigmentation that we do treat. Melasma, which is a hormonally triggered form of hyperpigmentation and is common in darker skin types, is a form of hyperpigmentation that does warrant treatment not just for cosmetic reasons, uh, but because of the immense psychosocial, psychological impact that it can have on the individual. But for the purposes of today's podcast, I really want to emphasize that there is a group of pigmentary disorders that is potentially dangerous if merely dismissed by the layperson or a non-dermatologist, for example, an aesthetic physician who is not a trained dermatologist as simply hyperpigmentation and not refer the case out to a dermatologist. There is a specific type of cancer that looks a lot like your run-off-the-mill age spot or what we call solar lentigenes uh, in older persons, but is in fact a very dangerous cancer. It is known as lentigo maligna and it takes expertise and a high index of suspicion for that diagnosis to be picked up. It is diagnosed with a biopsy. The biopsy will detect malignant cells, the degree of spread, and will be read by a dermatopathologist. This is very important because if the diagnosis of lentigo maligna, which is a 
form of melanoma is diagnosed late, the cancer grows large and eventually leads to a loss of tissue. And since it occurs in the face, there is significantly increased morbidity uh, in terms of disfigurement, as well as difficulty in removing the tumor at a later stage. Now, certainly, it also affects what doctors call mortality because as a form of melanoma, it has the potential to spread to the other organs and the lymph nodes and that can be fatal. Now, this is certainly on one extreme end of the spectrum where hyperpigmentation is clearly not a cosmetic issue and treating it as such, uh, which is it was also a result of societal influences as well, can actually be incredibly dangerous. Uh, the opposite end of the spectrum would be absolutely benign causes of hyperpigmentation, uh, which I think is also very fair for the laypersons, for the public to understand that first of all, do not require specific treatment, uh, but secondly, if the uh, prognosis is not um, very good as well with treatment, do you actually want to spend the money or um, expect certain results from treatments when the reality is there uh, is not very good evidence for such treatments? So a case in point would be racial hyperpigmentation, uh, or which is actually um, a form of hyperpigmentation occurring in uh, phototypes 3, 4, 5. Uh, these are individuals who have uh, Asian, Hispanic, or African-American uh, skin tones. And in racial hyperpigmentation, we see increased melanin deposition in certain areas. Um, they are essentially the flexural areas, um, but can also occur uh, on the face, such as around the mouth. Uh, and all this uh, should actually be clearly distinguished from other causes of hyperpigmentation, like melasma, um, that may require uh, evaluation and treatment. So the thing with racial hyperpigmentation uh, is that it is benign. And any promises to reverse that uh, by any physician with therapy should be made with a very clear declaration that the medical uh, evidence tells us that treatment is generally not very successful. Now, this is different from an approach where we are advocating skin health. So um, something relevant would be in the treatment of post-inflammation hyperpigmentation that has lessons for us as well um, in this context. And that is the use of topical antioxidants, which while do not directly address the underlying conditions such as acne or eczema, it does support anti-inflammation. Uh, and that means that there is going to be um, less of the cytokines, the chemokines, these are the chemical mediators that can stimulate melanin production even more. And besides, uh, we know that a lot of inflammation can be worsened with photo damage 
and antioxidants actually help to fight photo damage. Back to the topic of freckles, I think it's very important for us to um, communicate this message that freckles are actually beautiful. Because first of all, I think that it makes an individual look unique. And secondly, from a dermatologist's perspective, it is not practical to be treating freckles. Think of it this way. It is a manifestation of an individual's natural gene um, expression that with their original hair coloration, eye coloration, um, their phototype, that they are genetically encoded to have all of this uh, on their skin. And it is only a result of social conditioning that some individuals are made to feel conscious of it. But imagine if we were to focus purely on skin health, that way a lot of the different causes of hyperpigmentation can then be correctly pigeonholed into categories of whether it is a true form of skin pathology or if it is a cosmetic concern which should be treated because of its uh, psychosocial impact or in the case of freckles which really should have no psychosocial impact other than uh, an unrealistic societal sort of expectation uh, especially in Asia I feel that uh, a lot of individuals are made to feel more conscious about their freckles in a negative way than it should be. I think also that it is timely for us to address the types of treatment options available for post-inflammation hyperpigmentation, which really everyone will get at some point of time in their life. So, for example, if you were to look at my Instagram videos, uh, there are a couple recently where you can see I have um, these hyperpigmented spots. They're quite tiny on my wrist. And frankly, I, I can't be bothered with it. And, you know, it, I can see it, but I, I really don't think it's an issue at all. But I know that there are many people who would be bothered by it if they had it. And it was really because I had a slight accident where um, my dog accidentally moused me when he was playing and then it left, his, it left some bite marks. But uh, I know for sure that it is going to fade with time and it just doesn't bother me. But I have seen many patients who have PIH um, and it can be from um, either uh, small accidents they've had, surgical scars or even um, acne that they, they had a few months earlier and it becomes really troubling for them. It's really important for us to address how it got to that stage because clearly it um, is a very significant disturbance to them mentally. So I think that the very first step that you know I can take as a uh, public educator uh, who is also a trained dermatologist is to explain that our body actually takes uh, a certain 
amount of time to heal on its own. It is programmed to naturally heal our injuries. And in fact, inflammation is the way the body heals itself. Now with inflammation, we also have the stages of wound healing. And post-inflammation hyperpigmentation is a part of this process. Now it can be alleviated with appropriate care of the underlying condition. So if your hyperpigmentation is not caused by trauma, uh, such as in my case, when I was uh, bitten by, I was, you know, I wouldn't say bitten, but he mouthed me a little bit too hard um, by my, my pet, then, uh, you know, in the case of acne, uh, if you have acne that's uh, untreated, it's important for it to be addressed before you speak about any treatment options relating to scars. If you have eczema, it ought to be treated with appropriate medications to avoid a vicious cycle uh, rather than for you to focus on the hyperpigmentation which really will fade with time. Now, the degree to which it lightens, it also depends on your biological age. But the key here is Perhaps we do not need to be so bothered by that or even feel that there is a, an expectation for anybody to be flawless and perfect in order for them to look good. Um, I think it is critical to understand that a lot of the treatment options which are being touted for hyperpigmentation, uh, whether it's prescription or non-prescription, actually work either by inhibiting the enzyme involved in uh, production of melanin, which is tyrosinase, uh, or in terms of its antioxidant properties uh, in the case of cosmeceuticals like vitamin C, certain botanical plant extracts, Sika, uh, also known as Centella asiatica, for example, is well known to reduce post-inflammation hyperpigmentation um, by uh, improving the uh, antioxidant ability of the skin cells. So this perspective, I feel, is much healthier than uh, depigmenting treatments such as hydroquinone, uh, primarily because uh, hydroquinone will not work directly for cases of post-inflammation hyperpigmentation and can have adverse events such as depigmentation. And if you have eczema, for example, it will trigger off an eczema flare-up. However, the use of antioxidants as a form of uh, skin tone brightening or evening sort of treatment is actually evidence-based and is focused still on skin health uh, and in fact has an added photoprotective sort of mechanism which means that on a day-to-day -day basis it helps you fight off free radical damage which is a significant cause of skin aging and sun-induced skin damage and all that actually increases your risk of getting precancerous and cancerous lesions on your skin. So that just about wraps up today's podcast episode. There are a few take-home points I want to emphasize here. Firstly, not all forms of pigmentation needs to be treated or should be viewed as negative. Now, all of us 
will have had some form of post-inflammation hyperpigmentation at some point of time in our lives. So don't fret the next time you have a small accident or you get bitten by a mosquito or you have a pimple, the pigmentation spot will fade with time. So you don't have to worry too much about it. A health-focused approach to your skin concerns is far more important than societal expectations of what is considered beautiful or flawless because oftentimes that can exacerbate a lot of the mental anxieties that sufferers of these skin conditions already have. Well, I hope that today's podcast has helped you. And for the full podcast transcript, you may go to my podcast website at www.scienceofbeauty.net. I wish you all a great week ahead.